Tales from a Jurassic World, Season 1, Episode 3, Fever, Las Vegas. Four months after establishing a temporary field base in Pennsylvania, the US Fish and Wildlife Service were coordinating operations across the country. Animals had been spotted in Oregon, California, Las Vegas, Wyoming, Colorado, and wider afield. The prevalence of dino trafficking and auctions, brought on largely by the fallout of the now infamous auction at Lockwood Manor, had led to dinosaurs being sighted across the country, and indeed, across the wider globe. The US Fish and Wildlife Service had found themselves working closely with colleagues in local government, including the Federal Bureau of Investigation, to track down smugglers and attempt to crack down on the dinosaur black market. This was why agents Morrison and Brown were now stood in a car park in downtown Las Vegas, surrounded by local metropolitan police officers and FBI agents. The car park itself was at the back of a popular restaurant chain, and it had been used as a rally point to give a recently formed field team a briefing about the operation they were about to embark on. A couple of weeks ago, the FBI had approached the US Fish and Wildlife Service about assisting them with a raid on a black market location in an abandoned underground car park in Las Vegas. And after working together to ascertain more detail, including an asset list, the service had agreed to deploy Morrison and Brown with them in an oversight capacity. Both agents would move in alongside an FBI strike team, ascertaining the injuries which the animals in the market had received and providing on-the-site assessments of the animals. They would also be equipped with tranquilizer rifles in case they needed to contain any dinosaurs. There must have been half a dozen agents assembled in the parking lot, chattering amongst themselves. A couple of black SUVs were parked up, alongside three or four police cars, and the pickup truck which Morrison and Brown had driven down in. At the rear of the car park where everyone was assembled was a mobile command centre, which would be used to oversee the operation and provide constant communications between the agents in the market and the headquarters overseeing the operation. It was a large-scale operation, and there were more and more operations like this taking place across the country as the federal agencies began to deal with a new type of trafficking. There was an uneasy atmosphere in the air as everyone waited for the agent in charge of the field operation to begin the briefing. You know, I, uh, I always wanted to visit Vegas. Just, uh, not like this. Brown said, clearly slightly nervous. It'll be okay. These guys know what they're doing. We've just got to stay out of their way. Morrison replied, trying to calm her down. Brown turned to look at some of the FBI agents stood opposite her. They were decked out in full tactical gear, including combat fatigues and bulletproof vests and helmets. The men carried carbine rifles and looked hardened and ready for a gunfight. That's a lot of hardware. We'll be okay. Just stick with me. 
At that moment, the door to the mobile command unit opened, and a man in khaki cargo pants with a black tactical vest emblazoned with FBI stepped out from the rig. It took Morrison a moment to realise that this was Field Chief Ramirez, the man who he and Brown had met briefly at Lockwood Manor. He nodded at the man as he stepped out and he appeared to grit his teeth slightly before returning the nod. All of the gathered law enforcement agents in the car park stood up and made sure to look at the agent as he looked across the car park. Good morning people, listen up! We are here to hit a black market deal which is happening in an abandoned car park later today. Intelligence reports suggest there are several species of animals which will be present. So we're going to move in and make our presence known. For those of you who've been on the case for a while, it's worth noting that some of Rain Delacorte's men are overseeing this deal. That means they will be armed and will not be scared to open fire at us if they believe they need to. He paused for a moment, looking at Morrison and Brown. We have two. U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service agents with us, Agent Morrison and Agent Brown. They will help us identify species once the area is contained. Any questions? One of the Metropolitan Police officers spoke up. What's our job? Good question. Metro Police are tasked with containment. The FBI will lead the assault on the trade, but we need you to set containment in case anyone escapes. Hold a couple blocks as a perimeter. Should just be a precaution. Copy that. Alright people, if there are no more questions, let's roll out. A few moments later, Morrison and Brown were rolling out behind the two black SUVs, heading straight for the underground parking garage which they were going to raid. As the vehicles rolled down the road in a convoy, flanked by police cars at either end, Morrison took a moment to check in with Brown. How are you feeling? Nervous, I won't lie. I signed up for looking after animals, not raiding black markets. This isn't what I expected. I don't think it's what anyone expected. We just have to uh, adapt to it the best that we can. Are the tranquilizer rifles ready? Yep. Loaded them up at HQ. Good. We probably won't need them, but it's best to be prepared. It's going to be okay, Lucy. At that moment, the radio unit in the vehicle buzzed into life as Ramirez radioed across the convoy frequency. We're here. Dismount and get ready to rock and roll, people. Morrison parked the pickup truck behind the second SUV and hopped out, opening the back door to pull out the tranquilizer rifles. He passed one over to Brown and then they walked further down the pavement. There were a couple of metal garage doors facing out onto the street further down, and then there was a metal door with a no entry sign on it. A handful of FBI agents in tactical gear were stacked up outside the doorway, and Ramirez stood behind them holding a pistol. He turned to Morrison and Brown as they walked up and joined the rest of the group. You ready to kick this thing off, Morrison? I'm not so sure. It'll be fine. Follow my lead. Curtis! Let's do this. Copy that. Make an entry. At that moment, one of the men at the front of the stack kicked in the door, raising his rifle in front of him as he quickly began to proceed down the stairs. 
The rest of the up-armoured agents stacked up behind him, following him through the doorway. Ramirez then raised his pistol and followed the rest of them in, with Morrison and Brown close behind. They proceeded into a spiral concrete staircase that went down a couple of flights of stairs before they arrived at a lower floor where a second metal door could be found. The agents stacked up and prepared to make entry again. Ramirez joined the rest of them and turned, seeing Morrison and Brown behind them. Morrison nodded and he turned back to the group. Kick it. In that second, things happened very quickly. The door in front of the team was kicked in and the FBI agents moved into the room beyond fast, weapons raised. FBI, hands in the air, now! Morrison and Brown moved in behind the FBI agents and began to take in the room before them. There were a couple of vehicles parked up, including one large transport truck and a couple of metal cages in the middle of the room. They were moving and noises could be heard coming from within the cages. Around them, a couple of people were stood, hands in the air, as the FBI agents began to fan out in an arrow formation to clear the room. The rest of the car park was dormant, with large metal pillars and dingy lighting emphasising how hollow the space was. As Morrison and Brown began to creep forward towards the cages, there was a scuffle around the corner. They turned to look and saw an agent backing away, his rifle raised. Gun! Put it down! Now! Suddenly the air erupted with sound as there were gunshots which echoed and ricocheted around the room. Morrison and Brown dived into cover and Ramirez took cover with them, crouching behind a concrete barrier which was in one of the empty car parking spaces. There were shouts and more gunshots in the distance and then they were plunged into chaos as the lights for the structure were turned off, plunging them into darkness. Flashlight's on. Ramirez called out, thumbing on a flashlight underneath the barrel of his gun. There were a couple more gunshots and then the room fell deathly silent. Muffled footsteps could be heard and then there was a noise like a rattlesnake from across the room, followed shortly by a scream. Fearing that he would be risking his life, Ramirez aimed over the barrier and looked across towards the cages. One of them was still moving by itself, something clearly still trapped inside, but the second cage now sat empty. As he scanned across it with the beam of his flashlight, it became clear that a ricochet in the ensuing firefight had caused the cage to be shot open, allowing whatever was inside to escape. He slid back down slowly and looked at Morrison and Brown. Something got out. What was it? Not sure. At that point, there was another rattle-like noise in the darkness. Ramirez peeked across, scanning the room with the faint torchlight from his pistol, and he then rose to his feet. Come on, we need to contain this thing. I, I can't. Brown whispered back, shaking. Morrison looked across at her. She was sat clutching the rifle and was shaking, clearly visibly distressed. He placed a flat palm on her shoulder and looked her dead in the eyes, taking up her full attention. Stay here. I'll be back. 
At that moment, he rose to his feet and raised the rifle, following Ramirez as they crossed the distance between the parking space and the empty cage. Shining a light around the cage, Morrison was able to find a tag that read Dilophosaurus. They were carnivorous dinosaurs who were known to hunt in packs, although one on its own could be deadly. He quickly shone a light over the second cage and was shocked to see three sets of beaks as he realised that this cage didn't hold a dinosaur, but rather a trio of pteranodons. The cage was far too tight for the poor animals and they looked eager to burst free. As he took in the details on their skin, they heard another noise from the darkness. Ramirez, that you? Yes, Curtis, over here. From the shadows, another FBI agent emerged, his uniform slightly bloodied and torn. His rifle was nowhere to be seen, but he was carrying a handgun. He limped towards them and then motioned back into the darkness behind him. O'Neill is down. It attacked him. I've sent Cooper and Jackson to secure the far stairwell. Didn't see where the rest of the smugglers went, but I know I've got a couple of them too. Okay, open up the gate and get some backup in here. We'll go hunt down the Dilophosaurus. Will do. Be safe out there. The agent jogged away, and Morrison and Ramirez moved deeper into the shadows. They could hear the steady rumble of one of the large garage doors opening behind them as they moved deeper into the darkness. In the torchlight, Ramirez picked out a couple of bodies, presumably the smugglers who had sprinted away in a hurry. There were fresh red marks strewn across their bodies. Morrison knelt down next to one and went to reach for a pulse when there was a noise behind them. He raised his rifle and looked into the shadows, Ramirez doing the same. From the shadows, a hooting-like noise, not too dissimilar to an owl, could be heard. It was clear that the animal was now circling them. Tranquilize it, get ready. The Dilophosaurus gave one final hoot from the shadows and then lunged forwards, knocking Morrison off of his feet before he had a chance to respond. In one moment, he saw a red and yellow frill, illuminated by torchlight in the darkness, and the next moment, it had disappeared. He crawled across the floor and grabbed the rifle, aiming it into the darkness again as the dinosaur vanished once more. Before Morrison could answer, the dinosaur emerged from the shadows again, thrusting its tail into Ramirez's legs and knocking him on the floor. It turned and hissed at Morrison, who raised his tranquilizer rifle, levelling it at the animal's head. Suddenly the animal spat hot venom in his direction, and he dived out of the way, smacking into one of the concrete columns and banging his head. He dropped the rifle, stumbling away. As he turned back, he saw a flash, and Ramirez stood up from underneath the animal, raising his pistol. No! The Dilophosaurus hissed again and turned back to face the man when he discharged the pistol two more times, causing the animal to slump to the floor. It let out a final pained noise and then sunk in a heap on the floor. Ramirez looked down at the floor, raised his pistol, and fired a fourth and final shot. At that moment, Morrison burst across the floor, pushing the man back away from the animal. 
What the hell are you doing? Saving your life. Maybe try thank you next time. I said I'd tranquilize it. It was right there. That thing killed O'Neill, and it would have killed you too. Be grateful instead. It is an innocent animal. You have no right to play God. Neither did the people who got us into this mess. You're making it harder to get out of it. We just need to shoot them and be done with this. It'd be easier for all of us. Wait until HQ hears about this. At that moment, the two stopped fighting and looked towards the entrance to the garage as a gunshot ran out. They broke into a light sprint and got back. A figure dived at them from the shadows and Ramirez raised his gun before lowering it quickly, realising it was Brown. Where's Curtis? I'm sorry. They shot him before I could do anything about it. As they were leaving, they opened the cage too. Said something about causing a distraction to escape. They got out before I could stop them. What? Get out, Lucy. She cried some more, so he put his hands on her shoulders and looked at her, attempting to get her attention. She was crying, but through the tears he could see he had managed to get through to her. She took a deep breath and pointed at the cage behind them. The Tyrannodons! Morrison turned and saw the cage door, now hanging limply open. He followed the ray of sunshine which it was basked in, and looked up through the gateway which had been shut when they first arrived. Curtis was slumped in the middle of the gate, and beyond his body he could pick out the skyline of Las Vegas, now in full sight and readily accessible. He gasped as he realised what this meant. You have been listening to Tales from a Jurassic World. Ben Morrison voiced by Jared Ransom. Lucy Brown voiced by Ashley Friel. Marcus Ramirez voiced by Marcus Benesi. Fran Marshall voiced by Dot Paws. Police Officer voiced by Madison Doak. FBI Agent Curtis voiced by Dakota Morgan. FBI Agents Cameo Roles, voiced by Brad Jost and Tim Piper. Score composed and created by Brooks Leiby. Sound effects from Epidemic Sound. Written, created and produced by Tom Jurassic. Tales from a Jurassic World follows the US Fish and Wildlife Service as they adapt to dinosaurs in the wild. <laughs>